you've been here any time at all, you know we, we give a lot of attention to the Word of God because when we read our Bibles, listen to our Bibles, we don't have to question who's speaking. God's speaking. It's His Word to us. It's alive and powerful. It's not like just any other. It's unlike any other book you'll ever, ever read. So God interacts with us through His Word as we hear it, we read it, we memorize it, we meditate on it. These are the things that, that God wants us doing so that we can be fed, we can, be, we can have a solid foundation. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. It's pictured as bread. It's pictured as, as a seed. So as it's planted, as it's taken in, it, has, it will bear fruit. And so we need to interact with it in obedience to God. We're going to look this morning at Genesis 22, which is an incredible story. So we want to, uh, if you would stand with me, we're going to be in Genesis 22. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and we'll see how far we get as far as our study this morning, okay? And it, I've titled the Testing Your Faith, God Testing Abraham. So it came to pass after these things, verse 1, Genesis 22, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son. God will provide for himself. Now, I want to stop a moment because it's so important. Uh, I don't know how yours is translated, but most translations have a four in there. I'm reading New King James. The King James does not have it. This does. That should be double struck it out. God will provide himself the lamb. It's powerful. God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering so the two of them went together. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. And Lord, as I've just been preparing this message, this study in your, in your word, it's, it's just, Lord, us to bow before you and say thank you, God. To worship you, as Johnny was saying, in spirit and truth. To realize, Lord, that you are such an awesome, how great is our God. And Lord, as we're looking at this picture of the cross and the whole interaction that's taking place between a father and a son, I pray, Lord, you open our hearts to your love, to the incredible thing that you have done for us, that our hearts might be moved today in, in a way that draws us to you, bow before you, worship you, because you are God, and you are worthy of all praise and all worship. And Jesus, we, we, we know one day, Revelation, that we're going to stand before you and say, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. We worship you. Worthy is the Lamb of Slain, who's redeemed us from every king and tribe and every king, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. That, Lord, you gave your life that we might live. So move, Lord, by your spirit, I pray. The things I prepared, break them fresh. Feed us, Lord. 
In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I'm already getting emotional. <laughs> Genesis 22 goes alongside of Psalm 20, Genesis 22 goes alongside Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 as three of the most profound prophetic passages in all the Bible, detailing the future reality and the significance of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, this whole I, the crucifixion was developed by, by the uh, Persians in about 300 to 400 B.C. Psalm 22 is written by David, who lived some 600 or 700 years before that. Isaiah 53 was written by Isaiah through the Holy Spirit inspiration by God about three to 400 years before crucifixion was ever devised. So we have here the Holy Spirit-inspired writing of the Word of God to minister to us, illuminate our minds and hearts, and what I called to take in this breathtaking panoramas of the great love of God demonstrated and victoriously demonstrated at the cross of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 6, beginning verse 6, For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for what? The ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were not only ungodly, still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath. Through him. We're justified, we're saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, so we're ungodly, sinners, enemies, we were reconciled to God, how? Through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, I mean, we could just keep piling it on. Not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We have been reconciled through this, what God did through his son on the cross. Paul said to the Galatians, won't be up there, he said, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I unto the world. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. In the old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For it was on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. Wow. And there are some powerful hymns that came to mind. I might read them. I might, I've got them up here. We'll see, we'll see how the Holy Spirit takes us. But I just want to say in preparing to teach this chapter, because I, was more than, I had more than a few moments where it was as though I was standing on holy ground. I decided just this morning that I'm going to take this chapter as it comes. In other words, we'll pick up wherever we leave off next time. Would you, would you consider that? Uh, am I good? Okay. 
Now, God appeared to Abraham seven times. This is the seventh and final appearance of God to Abraham, and it involves the most incredible story that we'll read in the Bible. And it's God testing Abraham. So he's called the father of our faith. And thus we're following his faith. And all the way along, not just here, all the way along, God had been testing Abraham. All who put their faith in the God of Abraham know well the testings of God. This is not a pass-fail thing. You're in, you're out. The word means to prove by trial. To prove and perfect our faith with the goal that it's the real deal. It's genuine. God loves us the way we are, but he loves us too much to keep us the way we are. Can I hear an amen? God will test beyond our human limitations to bring about a faith that is no longer bound by our human limitations. We read of, of uh, Abraham in Romans uh, uh, concerning the birth of Isaac, which seemed like an impossibility to him. And so he believed him, God, Abraham believed, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. We can do neither. God can. Who, contrary to hope, Abraham, contrary to hope, in hope, believed. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, or the, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, but being fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Faith in God is learning to trust and obey by surrendering everything to God. My excuses, my unbelief, my fears, my inabilities, my questions, my possessions, my passions, my positions, in two words, my life. Surrender to God completely and wholly. The testing of your faith is a lifelong process of working out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it's God that works in you both to will and to do what pleases. In other words, we must be interacting in relationship with God so he can do what he wants to do. And he does that through testing. So it's important to distinguish between two things, temptations and testings. You see, temptations come from the desires within us. That's James. Whereas testings come from the Lord with the purpose of perfecting and proving our faith. So he's testing us because he loves us. Temptations, this quote from Warren Wearsby, I expand it a little bit. Temptations are used by the devil to bring out the worst in us through our own fleshly desires. Testing is used by the Holy Spirit to bring out the best in us through our faith in God. So we've got to distinguish between the two and what's going on. Now, God will test us in our temptations, <laughs> all those things that come up. So three things that we'll look at, maybe more than today, but here they are, this whole story. First of all, God tested Abraham. It was God who tested Abraham. Secondly, Abraham trusted God. Now, he didn't always trust God. He's, this work that God's been doing in his life, we'll look at that, was not an instantaneous thing. In other words, there are no instant Christians. It takes time walking with the Lord to know the Lord, just like any other relationship. The difference is God's perfect. You got two sinners in relationship is a lot harder, but God is perfect, and he loves us perfectly. 
So Abraham trusted God, but not instantaneous. This is many years along the way. Third, Abraham built an altar. He built an altar. So God tested Abraham. Verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. So God had been proving Abraham up to this point about 60 years at least. Abraham was a completely different man now because God tested him all along the way. We are better through God's testings, God's proving, God's purifying. Now, as we look at this story, there's not a hint of hesitation in doing what God called him to do. That wasn't always the case. And it's, it caused me, it's been 60 years. So I just want to speak to my fellow senior citizens. <laughs> How many we got here? That's all right, don't you? Don't you minimize the walking time that you have had with God. Don't minimize it. You can't change whatever, but don't minimize it. Don't let Satan rip you off from what God still has for you. Now, maybe, let's say you're 70 right now. You might have five more years. You might have 10 more. You don't know, but whatever length of time you have, it's a long time. And I think we need to look at it like that. And don't let the Satan rip us off for what God has done. In other words, you're still above ground. (laughs) You're still walking. Now, five years ago, I wouldn't be talking as I'm one, but I'm one. (laughs) I'm a senior. I'm 66. It's great. I go to to Sherry's, and they got this sign for seniors. I'm going to, I park right there. It's great. (laughs) Psalm 92 We shared this last week. I thought it's appropriate now. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. So our greatest learning, I think, the older we get, is that it's not complicated. It really isn't. And there are few things that really matter. To declare the Lord is upright. In other words, he is always right and never wrong. What a solid place that is to be living. Secondly, he is my rock. In other words, all other ground is sinking sand. To come back and back to God again every time is this rock. It's this, I know he's right, and so I can count on him to be right every time. And then it says, there's no unrighteousness in him. I trust him completely and eternally, and so can you. It's fantastic. So when we talk about God testing Abraham after these things, there'd been a road he'd taken, and we're on a road that we're taking. I was struck by what Warren Wearsby penned in his commentary on Genesis. Here it is. When I was a child, when as a child I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. And later, as I grew older grew, time flew. Soon I shall find, while traveling on, time gone. Now here's what he continues to write. At the age of 75, Abraham enrolled in the school of faith. Now, now he's over 100, and he was still having soul-stretching experiences. We are never too old to face new challenges, fight new battles, and learn new truths. 
When we stop learning, we stop growing. When we stop growing, we stop living. Can I hear an amen? I like to look at it this way. Anything that's, gro- anything that's growing is changing. Think about that. Anything that's living and growing is changing. Now, sometimes we'd like the changes to be going the positive direction, but it's changing. Therefore, if there's no change, there's no growth. And if there's no growth, it's a slow death. We need to put ourselves in those places where God is testing us. We're, we're trying to walk with him and know him and know that time is short. You know, my, my youngest sister died a year ago, May. Her husband just died, uh, and he was 70. I look at 70 and go, man, that guy was young. Now, some of you sitting here, young, 70? That, that's old. <laughs> no, 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 that's young. <laughs> 70 is young. And so... God tested Abraham. It was God who tested him, and it had been a road that he'd been on. Now, God tested Abraham, listen, by name, personally, individually. He said to him, Abraham. Now, if there had been no response, there's no testing. And he said, here I am. We would do well to respond to him who knows us by name. When he tests Abraham, it's by name, it's by personally, it's individually. And the test that you are going through, the test that I will go through, are going to be different. God knows my heart, and he tests me accordingly. And so to you. God knows the plans that he has for me, and he tests me accordingly. And the same for you. So my testings and your testing are going to vary greatly in timing, and in severity, and in difficulty. It's going to be different. The tests for a pilot are much different than the tests for a flight attendant. The metal that supports a shelf is very different than the metal by with, with which you build a bridge. So we are, we are only wise when we do not compare ourselves among ourselves. Or to put it another way, we are really dumb when we compare ourselves among ourselves. God tested Abraham by name, personally, individually. And then we read verse 2. God tested Abraham in his love for his son. The test is the area of love for his son whom God loved. So it says, then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Now, he had two sons, at least. The firstborn was Ishmael. But Ishmael was not a son of promise. Israel was a son of the flesh. So God didn't, as far as the promise is concerned, what God was going to do in Abraham's life with a seed, Isaac was the son. So God recognized in this testing what God was going to do was going to be through Isaac. So he said to Abraham, there's no other son. That's your only son. Now, remember, 25 years earlier, you had to send Ishmael away. Out of here. The testing that God was doing. Now, it's interesting, love. This is, I love, this, this chapter is so amazing. This is a first mention, a first time that the word love is used in the Bible. Chapter 22. It's the love of a father for a son. It's not the love of a husband for a wife or of a parent for a child, a mom of a child. You see, God is giving us an incredible glimpse into the divine love of the Godhead. 
When's the first time in the New Testament when Jesus baptized? The voice comes from heaven. This is my, son, my beloved son whom I well pleased. Wow. Father, son. Father, son. A father, a son. The father and the son. And go into the land of Moriah, verse 2, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. So God is testing his willingness to trust him for his son whom he loved. But get this and understand this, who God loved because God is love. He had trusted God for his family all along the way. He had to trust God to leave his family in Ur of the Chaldees. He had to trust God when separated from his nephew Lot, whom he loved. And all this separation of Abraham out with God. And it's happening in the love of a family. He had to trust God in casting out Ishmael. And now we get to Isaac. And God's saying, I want you to take him to the mountain that I'm going to show you. And there I want you to offer him as a burnt offering. It's a test of his willingness to trust God for what he had promised. To trust God for who he loves. Will he trust God at such a cost? Will we trust God when considering these kinds of things? Will we trust him to take care of our families, those that we love the most? That he loves them, he's got a plan for them and a purpose for them? Sometimes that is in fact, I would say that may be the most tested area of our hearts when it comes to the ones that we love. And it's the deepest place of testing that takes place in our lives when the ones that we love, it seems as though we've got, they've got to go on the altar. Now, will he trust God? The resounding answer is yes. What a magnificent work of God in the life of Abraham. And may I say to you, he's doing the same magnificent work in your life and in my life. We can't take credit for the God who loves us as he does, for the depth of love that he has for us. We can't take credit for that. We can only receive it and then respond to it and offer to God everything. Here it is. Here he is. Here she is. There's a, a, a hymn, a song by Chris Tomlin called At the Cross. And this, when, I, when I first sang this song and ever since, we haven't sang it for a while, and I just re-upped as I was thinking. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. Where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you, I'm in awe of you. Where your love ran red and my sin washed white, I'm, I owe all to you, I owe all to you. There's a place where sin and shame are powerless, where my heart has peace with God and forgiveness, where all the love I've ever found comes like a flood, comes flowing down. Here my hope is found, here on holy ground. Here I bow down, here I bow down. Here my arms open wide, here you saved my life, here I bow down, here I bow down at the cross. 
God tested him in his love for his son. Go to the land of Moriah. And was he willing? He was willing resoundedly. We cannot rush God along in the magnificent work he's doing in our lives. We can get ahead of him, we can lag behind, but we can't track him down that way. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, You made alive, we're dead in trespasses and sins, and once you once walked according to the course of this world. Then he says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we're dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised up together, made us sit together in the heavenly place in Christ, that in the ages to come, in other words, you ain't seen nothing yet. In the age of it, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his what? Kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We talked about the kindness of God last week. Continue. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not yourselves is a gift of God, not of worse, lest anyone should boast. For we are his what? Workmanship. We are his workmanship. We are his poem. We're his, we're his uh, artistic work. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We can't rush God along in this magnificent work he's doing in our lives. God tests us to prove and make our faith the real deal in him. Peter was tested. It's interesting. I didn't know it until after, but he was tested in the same ways that Abraham was. After these things, he was tested personally, individually, and Peter was tested in his love. So as you read John 21, I'll try and articulate the story here. As you read John chapter 21, and as I said, I think last week, or whenever it was, I think that the author, John, was trying to finish the gospel in chapter 20. He said, truly Jesus, many other signs in the presence of the disciples are not written here, but these are written that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life in his name. And I think he wanted to end it there, but then he goes, well, after these things, same thing with Abraham, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this manner he showed, so after what things? Well, one of the big things was, Peter said, I'll never deny you. And Jesus essentially said, well, We'll see about that. <laughs> he said, most sure I say to you, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny you know me three times. Peter's adamant, no way. Though these deny you, I'll never deny you. I'm going the length. I'll die with you. And then the little servant girl says, didn't I see you in the garden with him? Oh, no, no it wasn't me. Then he asked again, were you not one of his disciples? No. He swore, no, I'm not one of them. And then finally a third time he says, he denied it. And immediately... The rooster crowed. And Peter bore to mind, I'll never, and he went out and he wept bitterly. That's one of the things, after these things. But many other things he did, Jesus did, that Peter saw up front personal. And you would think seeing all of that, he wouldn't deny the Lord. But he did. And how many of you have those things, those areas in your life, where you say, I'll never do that, and you went out and did it? How many times have you denied the Lord? I can tell you, I have multiple denials. So after these things, Jesus showed himself again to, his, to the disciples of the Sea of Tiberias. In this way, he showed himself. And so Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together 
And Peter says, I'm going fishing. I think he's sort of discouraged. I'm just going to go back to what I know how to do. I'm going to go fishing. The other disciples that were with him said, we're going with you. So they immediately got in the boat. And that night, they caught nothing. I think this is quite a comical picture. Because as they're out there all night, and then it says Jesus, now in the morning, Jesus came, he's on the shore. And he says, uh, children, did you catch anything? And they go, who is this guy? No. So we'll cast your net on the other side of the boat, and you'll, find some, you'll, you'll catch some. So they cast it on the other side, and now the net was so full they couldn't even haul it in. And so when that disciple who Jesus loved, John, that's how he calls himself in his, in his gospel, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard those Lord, he put on his outer garment because he had taken it off, and he plunged into the sea. He's got, you know, the, the, the strokes are going. But the other disciples came in a little boat because they weren't far from land, dragging the net with fish. But for Peter, there's one thing. That's him. I'm going. I'm at it. He loved Jesus. So when they finally came to land, they saw a fire of coals and fish laid on it and some bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish you just caught. So again, Simon Peter, he goes up and gets that net and drags it to land. Here they are, Jesus. I mean, I think he's still trying to prove something. And it was so full of fish, and yet the net was not broken. Then Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. But none of them, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord, but I believe still disfigured. They, they, go, you know, they, they still, even right there, go, they didn't dare, are you the Lord? They knew it was Jesus. So Jesus, after, after breakfast was finished, he turns. Now here we get individually and personally. He turns and he says, uh, Simon Peter... Do you love me more than these? Now, context. After these things, after Peter had denied him, well, he said, I'm going fishing. He's, I believe he's discouraged. He wept. He's going, Jesus must be done with me. And so Jesus turns to Peter individually, personally, and says, uh, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? More than what? More than the fish they just caught. Or do you love me more than these? Because you said you would never deny them, though they all would. Do you love me more than they do? Do you love me more than the fish? And Simon Peter said, Lord, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then tend my lamb, tend my sheep. So then Jesus, and this is, you wouldn't get this if you're just reading in English, but he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now that word love the third time was the word phileo which is a Philadelphia, it's a brother-to-brother brother love. But the two other times, the first time he said, do you love me, agape, do you love me with a sacrificial love? Do you love me as you boasted you love, you love me? But the third time he says, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him again then, feed my sheep. Then he said these men, like, this, this is the test. This is the growth. This is the time. Peter, you need more time. Most years I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wanted, where you wished. But when you are old, you're going to stretch out your hands. Another's going to gird you and take you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by death he would glorify God. Jesus telling him, Peter, Peter, you need more time. 
But as time goes on, and as I'm testing you, as I'm working in your life, you will eventually come to that place where it's no longer a boast, it's reality. And they're going to gird you, and you're going to stretch out your hands, and you're going to go, and it's, it's said of Peter that he, he didn't feel himself worthy to be crucified as Jesus was, so they crucified him upside down. You see, that work of God was individual, it was personal, and it had to do with his love. And that's what God does in our lives. God tests us. It's he who is testing us. He tests us and calls us by name. And the work that he's doing is this work of understanding, receiving, and beginning to be a channel of his love. Because we ourselves have received it ourselves. And so then the interesting thing happens in this story. As soon as Jesus said, you follow me. Peter turns around and he sees John, disciple whom, and he, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, disciple whom Jesus loved, disciple whom Jesus loved. He sees John and says, uh, but Lord, what about this guy? I mean, it's, I, I think it's fantastic because it tells me that Peter's sort of his old self again, and that's a good thing in some ways. He, so Peter, Jesus says, you follow me, you follow me, you feed my sheep, you tend my lamb. And then he turns immediately after Jesus says that to Peter, you follow me. But what about John? And Jesus said, if I will that it remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this whole idea went through the brethren that this disciple John would not die. And John says, not that he would not die, but if I will that he come, if I will that remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. We cannot rush God along. The magnificent work he's doing in our lives, in his timing, in his testings, Proving our faith, deepening our love for him, and then him deepening our love for others. Trusting him all along the way. In everything that I have, I'm entrusting it to him. I'm saying, God, it's yours. You do what you want. That's that's a work, a lifetime work that God's doing in our life. God tested Abraham. God tests you. He tests me. Now, we can't rush along, but neither we can slow it down. Even when we do, slow it down, and we all do. God will meet us to call us back to simply this, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. I have a work for you. I have a plan for you that hasn't changed. You just follow me. And that's the simplicity of the work of God in our hearts. Follow Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12. After all of Hebrews 11, that great hall of faith, He's naming all these men and women that had followed God, hadn't received the promises. Some went through tremendous suffering. Others were seeing victory and receiving the people back from the dead. Others were tortured and sawn in two. I mean, just things you're going, wow, this is amazing. But that's the hall of faith. There are names that you wouldn't sure would be there. They're there. Samson and others. Out of chapter 11, verse 1 of chapter 12 says, Therefore, we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Follow me, he would say to you and say to me. What's going on in your life right now? What's going on in my life? What's going on? The things that God's doing in your life, he's simply saying, get your eyes back on me. Don't worry about John. Don't worry about Sally or Mary or whoever, you, put your, uh, you keep your eyes fixed on me because I am the author and finish your faith and no one else. 
And I'm going to help you to endure chastening. I'm going to make you more and more holy. I'm going to make you more and more loving. By having your eyes on me, you're not going to fall short of the grace of God. By having your eyes on me, you're not going to be getting bitter. It's going to derail the work God wants to do in your life. You keep your eyes on me. Is that not a simple, profound, and yet such a needed exhortation? We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. He is the author. And as God tests us, he's saying, back on the eyes, back on me. And Abraham, in this whole thing he's going through, he had to keep his eyes on God. He's going to sacrifice his own son out of obedience to God. It's amazing. God tests us. Now, the other two, Abraham trusted God. Abraham built an altar to God. These are the outflow of a life that had been being lived through the testings of God for him, proving his faith, bringing him to that place where he now had a heart, he had an understanding, he had a depth of relationship with God, that God was glorified and not Abraham. Do you want that for your life? I know you do. So when God tests us, he calls us by name. He's testing us in the area of our love, and he's doing that after these things. And I love that little phrase. Now it came to pass. It didn't come to stay. Can I hear an amen? It came to pass. The things God's doing in your life and my life, they change because he's changing us. And age changes us, our thinking. But I'll tell you one thing. As God, through the ages, the years that we walk with him, he proves himself faithful in our unfaithfulness. Amen. He proves himself kind in our discarding many times the things that are important to him. He's kind, as we looked at last week, beyond all measure. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to... Stop there. We'll pick this up in our next study. Can we bring our hearts and, and our hearts to the Lord in prayer? Father, we thank you that you are the one and the only one who knows us perfectly, works in our lives to will and do what pleases you, that you are, we are your workmanship creating Christ Jesus, that all things passed away, all things become new. And Lord, even as we read, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. So Lord, we're showing up. We're showing up. We're here, Lord, this morning just to bring our hearts to you in prayer and say, Lord, please, grant us a yieldedness to your Holy Spirit in the things that we're going through right now. We're going to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. And Lord, whatever you're calling us to do, we want to lay it out right there like, like just the amazing response of Abraham, the immediacy of his response, and has just this staggering obedience that you worked in him. So, Lord, we, first of all, we just confess, Lord, our disobedience, our unbelief. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you draw us to shore with you, to fellowship, and hear you say, the questions needed in our love for you. As with Peter, so with us, Lord. We repent, Lord, of any comparisons we've been doing with others. 
We're thankful, Lord, that you've created us with a plan and a purpose and a hope. And so we bow before you. Johnny, what song are we doing? At the cross. At the cross, okay. So, Lord, this final song is our song to you, our thankfulness to you. Please, Lord, receive the, you know, we offer to you our lives afresh today, right here, right in this room. Say, Lord, take us, lead us, change us by the power of your Holy Spirit as we seek to live our lives obediently to what we, we best understand is where you're calling us. So would you stand? Let's sing this song together in closing.